Hey gang, in today's episode of Star Trek Picard, there is a depiction of suicide. We just wanted to say that before we get into the episode. If you are having thoughts about suicide, Adam and I want to reassure you that the world is a better place with you in it, and we hope you will reach out for some help. The National Suicide Prevention Hotline here in the U.S. is 1-800-273-8255. And with that out of the way, enjoy the show. Welcome to the greatest discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the greatest generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Kind of a kind of a big day for us. <laughs> big day because uh, we're staring down our last tour stops and taking and passing COVID tests as we do it. You yeah. never know. Like you take that deep breath. Like is this going to be the one that fucks up the tour? <laughs> it can be scary to stare into the void. People listening will know whether or not we made it to Atlanta. <laughs> I know. I didn't like that feeling. Yeah. That's how it is. Yeah. This is why we've been asking people to uh, be vaxxed and masked before coming to shows. We don't want to jeopardize the future shows. Yeah. We've got to fight for the future. This isn't the X-Files. It's why the post-show party isn't a party. Right. Hey, uh, we got a quick programming note here. Uh, we will have a Friday episode the week that this one comes out. Uh, oh, yeah? We're going we're gonna to hit that uh, Strange New Worlds episode one. The day after it releases on uh, Paramount Plus, we're bringing back the Friday up, huh? Yeah, if you're cool with that. I mean, it's not up to me. We gave all those decisions to Wendy. Oh yeah, that's true. Well, she she told me to say that to you. Look at her. Look at her. <laughs> She's the producer now. <laughs> she really is. Um, I, I don't kill the messenger. She just told me to say that on mic. <laughs> it doesn't affect me at all. I'm just here on the mic recording the shows. You had to watch it, though, right? Had to. Come on. <laughs> Got to. I wanted to. I watched it on a plane. Yeah. You had a very cute question about this. Uh -huh. Like, should we be watching the screeners on the plane? What if someone sees? I saw a uh, an executive from Paramount Plus sitting in the row behind you writing angry notes. I think you're in trouble, dude. I don't think you're getting screeners from here on out. I think our Paramount executive might be more upset with me for what I'm about to say about this episode of Picard than <laughs> anything I do publicly on a plane, Ben. Oh, boy. <laughs> you shouldn't have leaned your seat back on him. That was your real mistake. I'm a never lean. Hashtag never lean. Come on. You know, I would never. And you know, I, I didn't do it on the train either. We took three trains in the Northeast Corridor. Mm -hmm. I am not a train recliner either, even though if you're going to recline, that's probably the place you can do the, the least amount of harm. There's a lot more space in between seats on those trains than there are in between seats on a plane. You know what the most harmful thing you can do on the Acela is put down your tray table because it sounds like a fucking gunshot on the train <laughs> every time you do it. What's the deal with the tray tables, Amtrak? What's the deal with the loud tray tables on the Amtrak? <laughs> Everything snaps back into place, like the footrest snaps loud, the tray table snaps loud. 
it's not pleasant. It really sells how much of a train you're on. Like nothing is engineered for lightweightness, you know? It's engineered for durability over all other things. Did the tray tables and footrests in the quiet car make that kind of sound? Because they're loud against that very idea. (laughs) They're flagrant. I leaned my seat back on the train, but I didn't have anybody behind me when I did it. I know. I looked back, saw someone behind me, chose against. (laughs) I looked back, saw no one behind me, and, and leaned back while making eye contact with you. You know, I mean, (laughs) you deserved the extra room because you ended up getting a middle on one of the legs of our flight home the next day, and that was shitty. Yeah, it was okay. I don't like Ben in the middle. No one puts Ben in the middle. You just don't like me in the middle because I'm a broad-shouldered man, and then I had a broad-shouldered man sitting next to me in the aisle seat. So Mm -hmm. between those two pairs of broad shoulders, we were really leaning over into you. I'm fine with that. I'm comfy as long as I get the window. I don't care the the conditions of the middle in the aisle. Yeah. I was trying to talk shit about that guy because he didn't observe the middle gets both armrests thing while we were in the airport. And I didn't realize he was like three feet ahead of us on the escalator. (laughs) I was giving you the signal that he was just ahead of us and you did not see the signal. I saw the signal. I powered through. You just didn't care. I cared. But then you wanted to be on the same tram with him. And I was like, I don't want to be on the same tram with him. Let's go into this. (laughs) Bad travelers should be shamed. I think that's what I'm learning from you. Yeah. I wanted him to overhear. Yeah. I just didn't want to face the consequences of him overhearing. (laughs) Yeah, man. It was Detroit. Anything can happen in Detroit. Mm -hmm. Anything except a Greatest Gen live show. (laughs) We used Detroit to fly through. We did not stay for a show. Man, the people of Michigan always think we're talking shit. And now it seems that you may actually be. (laughs) I'm just stating the obvious that we didn't do a show there and instead took a connecting flight through. I'd go back to the magic bag anytime. Yeah. Let's get into it, man. It's uh, season two, episode nine of Star Trek, Colin Picard, Hide and Seek. Adam, we watched trailer after trailer, teaser after teaser for Star Trek Picard. There was a Bajoran tablet in almost every single one of them. Right. We are in the penultimate episode of this season of Star Trek Picard. No tablet. Right. No Cisco. I was a deception. Guy who looks like Bashir, but isn't. I lied about being a story. (laughs) Presumably, something went wrong during production, and the thing that introduced me to the storyline had to be edited out. I'm a post-production sacrifice. (laughs) People will be asking questions about me for a long time. Wow, I guess we'll learn more about it on the DVD set. Maybe. Yeah, if they ever do that. If physical media even exists by the time this would be released on it. Yeah. A lot of fans coming for the cutscenes, Ben, just like the Borgs have come for the La Serena. They've beamed outside of the ship for maximum dramatic <laughs> effect. Yeah, Rios is trying to stop the transports from happening, but uh, they show up and they're green transports, which means uh, when Borg tech takes over your ship, it also changes the color of your transporter beam. That's just good branding. You can either take a few too many broads or have your transporter assimilated by the Borgs. Both (laughs) things result in a green (laughs) beam. It works. Yeah. 
the queen. She marches into the ship with a bunch of her special ops, evil, like Blackwater Borgs. What, what? Blackwater Borgs doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> That's alliterative in a, in a way that I like. Yeah, because they're not drones. They don't have all of the, you know, they've got rifles that fire bullets, not phasers. They're kind of pre-Borgs. Pre-Borgs can't get you assimilated, though. <laughs> yeah. It seem. And it doesn't seem like they know, like, what each other are thinking or doing either, right? Because, like, several times in this episode, like, people will be, like, hiding from Borgs or fighting one, and yeah. the others don't converge on that point. This was one of the frustrating parts of this episode for me, because this is an episode that is very sure about what I would find the most interesting and this is what I'm interested in. Like, what's actually happening with these Borgs? Yeah. We never learn. How Borg are they? Yeah. Just how Borg would you say they are? Yeah. Uh, not very Borg. What I find most interesting in this episode that's cut out is when Allison Pill, in the buff, walks up to the Morg on board Rios's ship and steals the outfit from the corpse of, the, of Nana Borgs. And and we were watching the outfit like dematerialize on her body. How close did we get to seeing Borg boobs here? I mean, we don't see much of her shot from a wide angle. Is she just like Borg Winnie the Pooing at this point? Because the Borg Queen only had a top part. <laughs> oh bother. Is that all she took? Yeah. Also, uh Borg Morg is just fun to say. Oh fuck, man. Missed opportunity by me. That's catchy. Yeah. Every confederation ship should have a Borg morgue. Right. Uh, so the rest of the gang materialize in a bunch of Talon smoke cubes, and mm -hmm. they are too late. They didn't make it in time to defend the ship at all costs like they were hoping to. The crew assembles outside, and they're all together. It's, it's Picard, Talon, Seven, Raffi, and then Rios, Teresa, and her kids show up. In that moment. Right. And uh, it's here where the main thrust of the episode is introduced. They need to take back the ship. Yeah. Because if they lose it, it's over. The Queen and Dr. Soon will be able to shoot down the, the launch and kill Rene Picard. It's going to be bad if they can't get that ship back. And uh, it's real scary because there are a lot of heavily armed, quasi-Borgified men. It's a real... Gunfight at the Dakar Corral. Really is. Yeah. Picard has kind of a lot of thankless dialogue, especially in the early part of the episode where he's stating the obvious to both everyone who's with him and us as the viewer. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of too bad. Just kind of? It's really too bad. <laughs> like everyone knows what they're doing there and why. But this is, I guess, if you want to hop into the season on episode nine, the uh, the catch-up dialogue. Yeah, I mean, I kind of liked that it was like he is a tactician, so he's kind of explaining tactically what's going on. Mm -hmm. I guess Raffi could have done it too, but it seems like they're really fucked, uh, except for up on the ship, we go back into split personality mode between Nana Borg and Gerardi. Uh Nana Borg is trying to smash the button to get them out of there, and Gerardi uh, is taking back control. This is a moment of diagnosis that new Star Trek uh, loves 
to create. This is Girardi trying to figure out why the Borgs instead of what the Borgs. And I tend to disagree with a choice that gives a reason to a thing as a way of creating less of a threat in them. Like what makes the Borg scary to me and always has is that we don't have a reason. They just go around and take. And for this moment to conclude with a reason and a method to what they do makes them less scary. And I don't want the Borgs less scary. I want them more scary even. <laughs> so your complaint is that she made the Borg less scary by describing why they do what they do? <laughs> no, my complaint is is that she like does therapy on the Borg Queen throughout this episode and gets to the core of what their deal is in a way that that feels like emotional in the way that the Borgs are not. This doesn't all happen in this moment, but this is the beginning. Like every time Gerardi splits out, yeah. this is a moment of diagnosis. I've been poking around in that trash dump of a mind. Wow, by the way. The conflict is basically like Gerardi thinks she's kind of got the the queen dead to rights with a like, if you go through with this, if you cause this break in the timeline here, the thing that, that Q wanted to have happen what happens 400 years from now is that the confederation is formed and they hunt the Borg to extinction. So you're like signing your own future death warrant by doing this. And Nana Borg is like, no, I now I know ahead of time to anticipate the the humans and uh, I've got a 400 year head start on them. Like I'm heading back to the Delta Quadrant to start making plans. Time is on our side. I mean, not only that, she has a license to smash all the butterflies that she wants to. Right. Like, there's, she's got no problem with that whatsoever. Manaborg doesn't have a temporal prime directive or anything like it. Right. But the other thing that Gerardi has is she's uh, locked the ship and made Hollow Elnor swallow the key. And Hologram Elnor starts John Wicking Blackwater Borgs left and right. It's nice to see him back. I mean, it's just a hologram of him, but uh, I'm excited. We're going to get to see some guys get cut in half. This is not fan service. This is Rafi service, right? <laughs> Got to bring him back to twist the sword. Yeah. Back outside, the uh, firefight has broken out, and uh, a we get a... <laughs> A thing that I don't know if I've ever seen before in film or television, but it's a flashbang triggering a flashback. Right. We begin at, I guess it's not the breakfast table because no one drinks lemonade at breakfast, right? <laughs> no one does that. This is clearly a yellow liquid, so I'm, I'm thinking this is a, a lunch situation. Yeah, maybe. The light kind of implies breakfast though, right? Yeah. Daddy Picard is the kind of strict father who doesn't approve of fun and games. He's like, if if Tiny Picard isn't hitting the books, then what is it all for yeah. as a father? I sort of got from earlier in the season that the young Picard and family moving to the country was something that his folks had done as sort of a get mom out of the city because she is mentally unwell thing mom embarrassed us one too many times at a restaurant that we were at maybe yeah also where is picard's brother we never see him in any of these flashbacks i don't know i mean he he's the most interesting picard outside of jean-luc himself 
<laughs> he's away at like a uh, a a winemaking boarding school, maybe. I'm going to ask now, and then I'm going to ask later, are we ever supposed to like Daddy Picard? Because this is another another ugly moment for him is like in front of his son taking a moment to tell his wife how proud he is of her for not having another one of her breakdowns again. It's, it's like it feels condescending in a way that I can't tell if they're intending to be. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that Picard was wrong to have kind of shitty feelings about his dad based on the way this scene yeah. goes. But I think that what what the scene is meant to implicate is that like his dad wasn't great, but he wasn't an abuser, you know, like in that way. No, I mean, I definitely don't feel like he was an abuser, but there's a weird like subterfuge happening visually where like we're seeing old timey costuming and we're seeing the old vineyard being the location and i think for some reason we're made to feel as though she couldn't go get professional help it's the 24th century yeah but she refused it that's that's been very well established and that's oh yeah like her her refusal gets her locked into a bedroom that's that's like a better outcome if she refused help and the only other choice was locking her in a bedroom i think Taking her to a professional is probably better than that. But you can't force somebody, right? Like You can force them to be locked into a bedroom instead? That's the night of, right? Like, she is found locked for that time being, and that's the night that it goes down, right? Like, this is something that is not perfectly a great look for Picard's father, but also, like, I have mentally ill people in my family who, like, experience shit that is not happening, and there's nothing you can do about it unless they start to self-harm. And then it's like, you have to somehow like apprehend them and get them into a safe space. And it's a medical emergency that is very tricky to negotiate because like, if they don't believe that what they're experiencing is fake, there's not really anything in the law that you can like invoke to, you know, like just because someone's sick doesn't mean that they have to be subjected to treatment, you know? I'm not arguing that at all. I just... In order to get on the level of this story, you've got to believe that hundreds of years in the future, there's still nothing that can be done for a person in her condition. And I think visually, this is a show helping to emphasize that by making it look like it's happening in the past instead of the future, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, (laughs) in the present, there's almost nothing that can be done. And uh, I totally buy that this... I mean, it just because mental illness... It makes me feel bad that hundreds of years from now, there will still be nothing to do to help uh, someone like Mummy Picard. The treatments get better all the time, but you have to be willing to engage with it, you know? And that's the th- yeah. the the most confounding thing about mental health things is that sometimes the nature of the illness prevents the person from recognizing it as such. And in a free society where people have agency, like they are free not to get help for something like that. Well, the one aspect that I take Papa Picard's side utterly is that a five-second count on a game of hide-and-seek is just a joke. (laughs) And you shouldn't even play hide-and-seek if your count to five is all you're going to do. It's not even a game at that point. Right. The kid is bored. Don't make the game that easy. (laughs) You're, (laughs) You're boring him. You're boring me. Far too much time on his hands. 
If he wants to be a, a space captain someday, you're going to have to challenge him yeah. a little more than the five-second count. What Adam wishes they'd done is watched young Picard count to 100 yeah. in real time in this episode. Yeah. Make it difficult. <laughs> Make it difficult by going into the resistance tunnels underneath the winery. What is difficult is the firefight back outside of the La Serena. And it's a firefight where Rios gets shot trying to get Teresa and her kid out of the way. Yeah. He- it looks like it's not too bad. Like, we're we're trained as viewers, like a hit to the shoulder is like a flesh wound. Right. So like, <laughs> I think you can still fight out there. But as soon as this is seen by Picard, he's like, we got to get him off the battlefield. He Get him out of the game. <laughs> I suspected that the projectiles being shot might be assimilating ordinance or something. And it oh. isn't just for this scene. Later on, when Teresa holds the tricorder to his shoulder... Uh, something happens in that moment that also made me believe that that it wasn't just a bullet, but that's not the case. He just got shot in the shoulder. Because it's like glowy? Yeah, and Talon beams the three back to her Gary 7 apartment, which has like the, the bank safe transporter room and everything from that TOS episode. Yeah, and uh, Ricardo is in shock, so they, they get him in bed and... Rios, is, his intent is just to like get right back out there, but Talon has shut down the transporter uh, before before he can do that. What do you make of the the reverse shot in this apartment? So we see like the bank safe transporter on one side, mm-hmm. and then we reverse shot to where Teresa is and the bed and the and the kid resting on it. There is a very strange piece of furniture in the middle. That I kept staring at. Uh-huh. Like, this is what you do when you live in a studio apartment. You you set up like a, a partition piece of furniture. Yeah, to... you kind of define the areas. <laughs> but <laughs> but this thing is mostly clear, except for a boat model in the middle. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's very skinny. Like, it's got doors to it, but it is so skinny, I don't know what you'd put inside it. More boat models, maybe? I want to see, like, I guess I'm on the hook for getting the DVD box set of this season so that I can... I can see the deleted scene that we wanted from earlier and also get the behind the scenes set dresser yeah. documentary about what this piece of furniture is. What is it? Did you <laughs> make it custom or did you buy it somewhere? <laughs> yeah. In the uh, Assignment Earth episode, something about Gary Seven there, like his life didn't seem sad in a way that this apartment makes Talon's life seem a little sad. Hmm. Did you get that vibe from this? Just being in this room, it was like a little dark, yeah, a little sparse. I don't know. Lonely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rios and Teresa live there now. <laughs> <laughs> There's no other way out, right? That's Waiting for the world to get assimilated yeah. because uh, the transport button was turned off behind them. Yeah. Back in Labar, Seven and Rafi are going to try and flank the Borgs. It's a, we got to split up so that we have more chances to get to the ship because we got to get to the ship to stop this whole thing. But nobody really likes their odds. Talon has a huge rifle, which she fires at one point, And it's like watching the projectiles go out of her rifle downrange looks like she's capable of taking out like dozens of these soldiers without yeah. much effort. Is this the gun that Guinan eventually inherits and keeps under the bar? 
God, I hope so. That would be a nice tie-in for sure. It kind of looked like it. Except for it gets fucked up in this episode. It gets like hit by a bullet. I wish it looked like it weighed a little more. This was one prop that definitely looked extremely light. Yeah, yeah. A little bit 3D printed seeming. Yeah. Yeah. They have a parlay with Soon who explains that uh, he would like Picard to relent and... uh, Basically, what he's arguing for is like, I won't. Soon drives out there in his Tesla. <laughs> I won't kill you as brutally. Uh, like, you guys can get assimilated or whatever. I don't really care. Like, but these guys are going with her. And, uh, and I liked the writing logic of Picard going, like, why, like, why are you even talking to me right now, man? And soon going, I want fewer unknowns. Like, I don't want any like variables that I haven't controlled for. And you are that right now. Yeah, I mean, if anything, I could have used a little bit more to that because the question of why Soong is even there strategically for him feels like it's missing one thing. And that thing is Picard possessing something that he needs in order to complete his part of the mission. Like Soong doesn't need anything from Picard except for him to be not playing the game anymore. And it feels like... With a little bit more, it would have right. it would have made more sense instead of just the dramatic flourish of it being fun for Soong and Picard to have these scenes together, which seemed to be the reason for their being. Yeah, the case sort of needed to be made for him like doing his diligence and making sure that the job got done or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, but Picard uh, basically challenges Soong at the end of this. Come and find me. Runs into the chateau. <laughs> The cards love playing hide and seek at the chateau. The cards like, I'll give you a five second head start. <laughs> Mummy's old school rules. <laughs> and Sung is like, Are you fucking serious? Like five seconds? That's it. That game on. Right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what kind of weird, easy version of this game you're playing, but okay. <laughs> That's the rules. I don't make them up. I only know how to count to five. (laughs) It's a miracle I'll ever get into Starfleet Academy. (laughs) I'm almost innumerate. Um, (laughs) This kind of turns into a haunted house with green lasers at this point. And there's like a fist fight between one where a Blackwater Borg fights Seven and Raffi and they get a knife into his throat. This was the moment where I I, uh, I was talking about where I was like, okay, so like they they're not like a collective, so mm-hmm. it's really unclear like what the assimilation did. Like, did it make them stronger? It seems like the only consequence to their assimilation was putting them in the sway of the Allison Pill Borg Queen. Yeah, the Nana Borati. <laughs> All right. Let's see if let's see if we can go back to that one. <laughs> so Picard remembers where the secret bookcase is that can be operated to get down into the cellars. And he has to kind of like work back through the memory of, of getting it open. I feel like if I had grown up in this chateau, that would be like the only thing I remembered about it is how to open the secret bookcase. Greed! <laughs> I feel like we're children again. Hey, you're it! Yeah, the secret bookcase is the main thing about the chateau <laughs> if you're a kid. <laughs> 
he makes a show of, oh, yes, how do you do this again? <laughs> also, if you're a kid, like knowing there's a room in your house full of Nazi fighting weapons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the thousand ways to die, right? Is that is that what Papa Picard's referring to? Just the the thousands of bullets that he's kept down there? <laughs> yeah, he's like one of those people that you occasionally see in the news where when they pass away, like a huge arsenal is discovered in their basement. And it's like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Talon has seen this room before. She's been in the dark parts of Picard's mind. So she's uh, she's familiar with this. This is where they they talk about like the uh, that there's more to the bad memory, right? Right, and it gets it gets cut off after closing the bookshelf behind them. They do have more time for backstory. Yeah, and uh, and JL indulges Talon. Yeah, and a little bit more, <laughs> and so do Raffi and Seven. Like after stabbing that guy, they have a moment to hunker down and argue about why Seven could never make captain. This is such an interesting scene to me because. Seven talks about how Starfleet would never have her as a captain because she's an XB and that Janeway went to bat for her and that wasn't even enough. Yeah. But you know who could have gone to bat with a much bigger bat? Picard, who is an XB himself. Yeah. He's an XB, but he was like grandfathered in as a captain. (laughs) You want to know a great example of a Starfleet captain who was also an ex-Borg? Well, here I sit. It brings a sense of order and stability to my universe to know that you're still a pompous ass. That's a bad look for Picard, I think. Yeah. It's ex-Borg's vanity, maybe. He wanted to be the only one. I wish we knew the timeline of that, because like we know what Picard did after the events of First Contact from that novel that we read. Mm-hmm. The Romulan spacelift. If maybe he wasn't in Starfleet when it happened, would he have like not cared enough to to do something? He was like too disgusted with Starfleet at that point. That seems like it would be after this would have been under consideration, right? I wish I could recall when Picard meets with Seven on this show for the first time. Is his fondness for her based on reputation or based on a relationship? It did seem like they knew each other. That's what I'm saying, because if they did know each other, then it's an even worse look. Yeah. That story has not been told, at least to us, yet. You know, lucky for the Fenris Rangers, they take all comers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The Fenris Rangers are way more way more liberal than uh, the Federation in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think so. Boy, they are, they're down to melee weapons at this point. It's like bottle openers and broken bottles and uh, <laughs> like. Yeah, they're going to bar fight their way through a bunch of heavily armed soldiers to try and retake the ship. I can't believe they even showed us this moment of like them running through the field, like into machine gun fire <laughs> they, with, a, with a bottle opener. <laughs> they actually cut the, the first guy's throat though, right? <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah, that should have been the end of them, right? (laughs) I do love the vibe of this scene before going out, like the resignation of two people realizing that this is probably going to be it for them. Yeah. I love this vibe so much, I was kind of hoping for more of it, like throughout the entire season, I think. Yeah. It's a very optimistic show. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? 
because I can go from what am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Nana Borgs also may be on a suicide mission now that Hologram Elnor is running around the ship and acquiring a sword. Uh, <laughs> the last place they think to look for Elnor is the weapons locker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's a lot of cat and mouse kind of energy where... Can he be shot? Because they're shooting at him like he can be, but he's a hollow. Yeah. The hollow is eventually destroyed, So, but it seems like right. shouldn't the ship be able to just make a new one also? 
Could the ship make a hundred of them? Yeah. Could the ship just fill the space with hollow Elnors? And this is related to one of my favorite questions we've ever asked on <laughs> about Star Trek, which is why can't you just beam five hundred security people to a place? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just just crowd it out. Yeah. A crowd of hollow Elnors. Yeah. He also had, there was something on his jacket that sort of looked like the mobile emitter that the doctor wears in Voyager, and, and it's not commented on at all, and I wondered if, it, if that's what that was or if that was just a decoration on the jacket. It made me wonder whether or not he would be able to leave the ship and go into the chateau. How, that's yeah. what I was expecting, but yeah. that never happens. Cutting through a barrel of wine. That would have <laughs> been fun. <laughs> no! No! <laughs> Um, back in, uh, in the apartment, Teresa is talking to Rios about all of these technological items that she's suddenly been shown the light that you can wave over somebody's brain to stabilize it. The, just, just the, just the tricorder. She's like, I don't like, it sucks that you're just going to like leave and take all this shit with you. And I'm going to be like, she is like, seems more bent out of shape about losing the technology than the prospect of losing Rios initially. Rios is such a dick because he's like, your son is clearly suffering from shock. Go put him in bed under a blanket while I have all of this technology here to cure my own medical situation. <laughs> if you could just come over and use the tricorder on me mm-hmm. while ignoring your son, that would be great. Yeah. And this was that moment where I thought assimilation bullet at the end and it was the music that did it for me. Hmm. The music change at the end was like, oh my God, what if they're shooting assimilation bullets? Would that be cool? You see there, like, there's like a diagram of him on screen and the bullet is like glowing pretty big on his shoulder. Green is the visual language of Borgs on this show. Yeah, except for the glowing is red. So it's like, is this green because Romulan computer or is it, you know, is it green because Borg? What does it mean? (laughs) It means flesh wound. It means... Not being assimilated. <laughs> so Soong is like walking around inside the chateau now with all of his soldiers, and he is clever enough to spot the spot in the uh, on the floor where the secret door slides over. You know, you got to keep dust off the floor if you're going to have secret doors everywhere because dust is a yeah. dead giveaway. This is totally like a moment from an open world video game where like uh-huh. the bookcase seems a little bit brighter than the other things in the room. <laughs> and so you go over and hit triangle and then yeah. the bookcase slides out of the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think they cut out the scene where Sung says open sesame? <laughs> <laughs> like in Star Trek Generations? Oh man, why would they cut that out? <laughs> You can't get Picard to say charade and you can't get Dr. Soong to uh, to say open sesame. It's too bad. So many missed opportunities in this episode. <laughs> Would you like another flashback, Ben? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Picard is getting really close to the end of this memory. Yeah. He's going to shoot the end of the memory. <laughs> <laughs> this dungeon area is the place we've seen many, many times. It, is it your understanding that this is the cover of a well, like this wooden area, or is it a stage or yeah. what is what is it actually? It does seem like the cover of a well, but yeah, I don't know. It The functionality of it is never revealed. It also looks like what that hole that 
young Picard stepped in has been repaired. Oh no, but it would but this is earlier, so the wood hasn't rotted yet. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's future well cover. Damn. I would have fucked that up if I was like the showrunner on this. I would have been like, yeah, and there's gotta be the hole from when he stepped in it as a kid. You know what? But all they're running around and the Borg's running around down there, did it end up weakening the cover to the well mm. oh. in a way that was self-fulfilling? Yeah. That would have been great if the way they got out of this was Brent Spiner and the soldiers walked across the surface of the well toward them and all just fell through. <laughs> <laughs> and then Picard had gone to, to the edge and said, well, well, well. All right, yeah, that would be good. It would be be good, good, right? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. It takes like eight seconds for you to hear the splash, (laughs) suggesting that the well is like just impossibly deep. (laughs) He finds a still working World War II era gun in one of these ammo crates and licks a couple of shots before the gun jams or runs out of bullets or something. Mm -hmm. And they are on the run again. This is a moment intercut with more moments with Tiny Picard and his mummy. Yeah. Uh, A mummy who has taken a turn right into speaking a suicide note language to her son in a deeply foreshadowing way. Yeah. The idea of going down there initially was to make for a more interesting game of hide and seek, which could have been accomplished with just a a longer count. Poor tiny Picard is like trying to grasp the idea of the time it takes for starlight to reach the earth. And he's like, I can only count to five. (laughs) What's a billion? I don't understand billions of years. (laughs) Does anything take longer than five seconds? I only know one, two, many, and that's it. Uh... Back on the La Serena, Hollow Elnor finally uh, comes across the Borg's Queen, does not cut her in half, jumps down to the lower level and goes into Six Bay and the doors in Six Bay close in a way that is impossible. Yeah. Like, where do they go when they slide open? Because there's windows where they would slide. I don't know. They slide so fast they wouldn't just smush a person, like they would slice them in half. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, like doors the, made out of Elnor swords. It's a real game-recognized game between Elnor and this door. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in walk Seven and Rafi, and um, they uh, are pretty surprised to see Elnor standing there. Rafi has a moment of closure with Hollow Elnor that is more detailed than I would think a hologram just based on somebody that was on board for 14 seconds and then got shot would be possible. Yeah, I I agree, especially with all that we know of the hollows we've met on the La Serena. They are programmed to the extent that they are able to do their job in a very talented way, but they don't demonstrate the discretion, I feel like, that this one does. And the foreknowledge of a relationship. Because crucially, this is a version of the La Serena that he would never have set foot on until they were escaping. Right. I think this is a deus ex hologram, isn't it? (laughs) I'm a doctor, not a commando. Either that or it's a hologram that is 
programmed for combat and providing moments of closure. Because <laughs> it's like, it's not even just that it's like, I know a lot about what Elnor's personality is. It's like, I know what Elnor was thinking when he was dying, and it was that he loves you. <laughs> it would be great if instead of emergency combat hologram, he wasn't given a name, but on the screen, he was the emergency closure hologram. <laughs> because that's what he's best at. <laughs> Seven has an idea to repel the queen, but it involves unlocking the ship. And uh, Hologram Elnor has the key for that. So no one would ever call him Halolnor, right? <laughs> That's too difficult. Yeah. No. Halolnor. Or. Or. Halolnor. Uh, what she has in mind is beaming all the Borgs into walls in the, uh, in the foundations of the chateau. <laughs> we see some of the aftermath of uh, when we cut back to Picard and Talon. Boy, are the future inhabitants of the chateau going to be confused by the walls down in the dungeon. <laughs> I thought it smelled bad before. <laughs> I mean, Picard's gonna gonna lock the bookcase and throw away the key. Yeah, because he's gonna go back, and the, the the chateau will be built on a foundation of Borg bodies, huh? Is this how the Borgs show up in past Earth? <laughs> if somebody from Starfleet ever goes down into the basement of <laughs> XB Picard's house and sees that, they're gonna be like, "Wait, wait, wait, wait." <laughs> <laughs> it's the new story where they they demolish someone's house and find the murder victims right. <laughs> buried underneath. <laughs> There's just one more Borgs left to deal with after the rest of the drones were transported away. It's the Queen, and it's also a moment where I uh, I recognize my specific sexuality. Ben, mm. it is Allison Pill dressed up as the Borg Queen holding an ice axe. <laughs> That's my type. Yeah. And they get into a sword fight. Yeah, you were really rooting for her to beat Elnor in this scene, huh? God, I don't know. It was a fun scene, but the queen ends up losing. Yeah, she's like kneeling on the ground between Seven, Raffi, and Hologram Elnor. And it looks like they've got her dead to rights. But then... They forgot about the tentacles. You gotta, you gotta factor the tentacles in, and hologram Elnor gets disappeared. Seven gets stabbed in the belly, and the queen has the upper hand now. At what point did you know for sure that the Borg queen that shows up in the first episode this season is Allison Pill? Because I feel like a a a shrewd viewer would know before this moment, but this was the moment. Like, oh, here's the tentacles. And then the detail of her leg, the costuming, like the way that the her costume is woven. Oh, yeah. Was exactly the same as that costume in the beginning. Oh. And I was like, well, fuck. Was this, <laughs> should we have known earlier that this was how it was going to go down? I don't know. This is the moment I picked it up. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't. <laughs> yeah. You did better than me this time. This time. I also wondered if a hollow, a combat hollow could move super fast. Like, couldn't he have just like cut the tentacle before it got to him? Or, but she's also probably super fast. He's made for closure, Ben. He's not made for fighting. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think that's why he loses here. So she is uh, standing over Seven's body and 
we get a little bit about why fighting death is futile. I have absorbed millions of languages, and there are a few common words among them. Love, certainly. Hope and fear. And one more common still, futility. I really liked this. I liked the the Borg as a radical runaway problem developed from a species trying too hard to hold back death. Hmm. Like the idea of resistance is futile being like a mantra that they've almost taken on because their existence is something that came about because of their attempt to resist death and they think they've they've solved it and the the sort of end of this sort of winds up being uh, a an argument between Gerardi and Nana Borgs back in split personality mode where Gerardi is calling Nana Borgs a loser who always dies in every iteration of reality like it's sort of turning the tables of the of the taunts that Nana Borgs has had for Gerardi this entire season which is you're a loner and in every in every timeline you're a loner and Gerardi saying in every timeline you lose so no wonder you fight so hard. You long for what we all long for. Connection. Longevity. Discovery. I find you more convincing than the episode in that first part. The like I I'm very interested in the idea of the Borg's origin story being about cheating yeah. death. But that moment in dialogue goes by so fast and we're already into like their conquest interests and the taking interests of them that I wish instead of those other aspects, it was purely about death evasion. But what we get into at this point is like Gerardi having the Borg queen in a conference room of a hotel, selling her the timeshare pitch of what about the Borgs except by choice? A Borgs co-op, if you will. <laughs> When some Borgs go out and assimilate, others stay behind and build the cubes. You know, from each Borg according to their ability to each Borg according to their needs, that kind of thing. Unfortunately, the Build Borg Better initiative uh, is unsuccessful in the Senate and therefore yeah. unable to pass. This is something that the Queen does not dismiss out of hand here. And we do a lot of cutting back and forth between this conversation and the one happening between Soong and Picard. Yeah. The conversation between Soong and Picard is going worse because uh, Picard is about to get executed by Soong and his henches. Yeah. Soong got a little glimpse of a way forward for himself. He has had kind of a dead end career this whole season. And this idea that if he can stop the launch of the Europa mission, you know, his name can ring out in history. And even if the future is evil, like he doesn't give a shit. Although it sort of seems like he's been sold a bill of goods about how great the future is. Uh, <laughs> I'm very glad this show didn't choose to reveal Corey to try to talk him out of this, you know? Oh, like she somehow got to France. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they beam her to France in order to talk him out of his awful plan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that could happen in the finale, I guess, but I hope it doesn't. I hope Corey's just out there swimming and enjoying her life. Yeah, catching some rays. Yeah. Another Q-less episode too here, right? right. So much 
is happening, so many inflection points occurring for uh, an episode totally without the reason we're all here. I mean, he'd like to be there, but he keeps snapping his fingers and not yeah. not able to to get over. He's that. on a red eye right now to France. <laughs> He's just going to get there super late. <laughs> He's like lo- like constantly refreshing his phone, hoping for that upgrade so he can get the lay yeah. flat bed. It's not going to happen. Q. He's going to arrive bedraggled. Yeah. Soon is going to uh, tie off all the loose ends of Picard still being alive. Rios, remember him? Still back in the apartment. I feel like the cuts are a little bit like atemporal, right? Like they're not like directly. Yeah. Because there's like, there's very much a like, all right, goodbye, Picard. And like soldier raises his weapon and then like cut to Talon's apartment and like two and a half minutes of dialogue between Rios and Teresa. This is a very revealing question that lays bare how big of an idiot I am. Is it possible for it to be daytime in France and in Los Angeles? Yeah, I think so. I think there's, okay. yeah, there's like a few hours every day where where they're both in, in daytime. Okay. All right. Well, not too dumb. Just medium dumb Just, with that question. Yeah, medium dumb. Uh, Rios, Rios is like, Teresa, you are a total smoke show. <laughs> but what I need right now is the smoky door Yeah, that takes me back to my friends to save the day. And he does. He he smoke doors right in front of Picard. Yeah. And uh, kind of tells Soong off here. I got real throwback vibes to the slaver weapon, the uh, the gun that can only be shot by the right person. Yeah, yeah. When Soong tries to shoot... Rios and Picard, he can't because the hilt is is tied to a specific DNA. Yeah. Rios is like, go ahead and shoot me. And Soong is like, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Did he leave the, the tech back with Teresa, by the way? Like, I feel like we don't know that. And that yeah. could be big. He didn't bring anything but the gun with him. It also sort of seemed like she was kind of talking him into maybe staying with her. If I was Teresa, I'd be like, take me to your better future, not not stay here with me in the stupid present. If the button on the season is the cut around of all of the characters and, and tying off their stories, it's like <laughs> Teresa and her giant scissors cutting the ribbon to her mega hospital <laughs> that is just filled with future tech derived from the... <laughs> <laughs> from the stuff that Rios <laughs> left behind for her. We're no longer dealing with medievalism. <laughs> Named for her son who died of shock <laughs> in, in Talon's apartment. Uh-huh. Ricardo Memorial. Yeah, Ricardo Memorial Hospital, now open. <laughs> Where we promise to use the future tech to save the children of today. <laughs> There's a Star Trek fight between uh, Rios and the uh, and the remaining soldiers. While Picard and Talon just watch. Yeah. They tried to block this in a way where you don't see that that's all they're doing, but that's all they're doing. I mean, come on. Picard is not in shape to fight. I'm too old. <laughs> Tell you what, I'll jump into the fight at the count of five. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Seven is being reborganated by- yeah. Nana Borati, uh, who, I mean- That's start- growing on me, Ben. Yeah. It's not my worst work. <laughs> I think it's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's sort of implied that there is like a new, 
this is no longer the queen or Gerardi, but a new third person. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a Tuvix situation, Nana Borati. Oh, it is, isn't it? Except Nana Borati has much better hair. Yeah, yeah. And the back of the head is not upsetting. The space perm is gorgeous. <laughs> She's looking great. Yeah, the back of the head might be the best part, to be honest. <laughs> they seem to be working collaboratively Yeah, in a good way. So Soong escapes, but uh, the rest of the, of the bad guys have been neutralized. And Seven is back on her feet. We get the final memory of Picard's mom, as expressed to Talon. And it is very, very sad. They're sort of in the room that young Picard ends the episode in. I agree with you that there's a lot wrong with this episode, but I think that the memory played in reverse element of this sequence was really beautiful and nicely realized the reversing out of Picard's mother's suicide back to the sequence of events that led up to it as Picard puts this memory back together in his mind. It kind of felt like uh, Coldplay's The Scientist video a little bit with how long you're in the reversal of the bad moment. I don't think I'm familiar with that one. I should check it out. I sincerely love that song and the video uh, associated with it, but it remained shocking to me that we saw a depiction of a hanging on a Star Trek show. It is so brutal as a way of dying that, I mean, in all the ways we've seen people die in Star Trek, it seems really unique. Yeah. And I don't make a judgment about it in describing it like that. I just think, I think it is very notable that we see it in such detail. Yeah. Did you think we'd see it? Because, I mean, it seems pretty clear that she decides to end her life, but I was, up until we saw it, not ready to believe that we'd actually see the moment. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting both that they did it and where it happens in the season because, like, it's kind of the most stunning image that I think we've gotten in the whole series. And it's it's interesting that it's not there to be resolved in the final episode of a season. I think it's incredible that it also answers the question why the sunroom was never rebuilt or reconstructed in the future like it was always left fallow right that's a very haunted space for him it's a memory that he chooses not to revisit and a room that he chooses not to spend a lot of time in his employees are like you know this would make a great tasting room Jean-Luc like we could put a couple of of bistro tables around shut up no (laughs) no yeah He's been smashing glass for a long time. He really has. Yeah. It's kind of his main interest now. Yeah. Hey, now that Seven is not dying, maybe she could get a shirt that doesn't have a huge saturated with blood part of it. <laughs> no, she's got to just set in it. <laughs> hey, that'd be nice, like one last use of the replicator before Nana Barati flies away in the starship. No one likes sitting in wet clothing. Yeah. This is the worst version of that. Yeah, I was telling you about one time I took a trip to Europe and the first drink surface that came around, the flight attendant accidentally dumped a glass of red wine in my lap and uh, I didn't have any replacement pants or underpants, so I just had to sit in that. Do you think on long flights like that, 
I want to believe that flight crews have backup clothes for someone in case something <laughs> awful happens, like biological. Like we were recently on a plane where uh, someone got sick in the back yeah. and it sucked. I'm not saying it's an airline's job to do this, but I wonder if in great emergencies where someone like vomits big time over many people, if they're if they don't have a bag of clothes yeah. where you don't have to walk off a plane covered in sick. Just a bunch of sweatpants and sweatshirts with the yeah. airline's logo on them or something. Yeah. Be kind of cool to walk off the plane looking like you're the official basketball team of Continental Airlines. Wide body planes have uh, body bags on them, man. Whoa. So it it makes me kind of believe that there may be an emergency set of clothes or two in there. You'd hope. Yeah. Yeah. The barf contingency is something I want to know more about yeah. with respect to air travel. Uh, yeah. How do they train on it? Well, <laughs> yeah. We found out about the sick because we heard the flight attendant like calling for a hazmat team to come. Yeah clean the the airplane when uh, we landed flight attendants they are unsung heroes really, they really what are. they have to put up with boy oh boy and that was uh that was never more apparent than on that flight i'm kidding um so yeah the the deal is that nana barati gets the the ship like there's sort of a tentative <laughs> like maybe we can be homies in the future energy with them this is why seven would have made a poor captain because she makes this deal. <laughs> you saved my life and you can have my ship. But yeah. she makes a critical error, Ben. She lets Nana Barati leave without solving the Sung problem. Right. Because Nana Barati could have fixed that before leaving. Is Sung still in France? He ran out of the cellar when his gun exploded. Yeah. So I, I imagine he's still on foot and without the ability to transport. Yeah. I'm just wondering like how he's, because I don't know where the launch is from. Is it, <laughs> I don't think that they have like launch complexes in France though. Nana Barati's like, well, I got a really long trip ahead. <laughs> Might as well get started. <laughs> hey, before I go, uh, there's a couple of Renees. One needs to live, one needs to die. All right. Later. Yeah. yeah. That's that's your parting comment. Yeah. And the gang watches the ship take off, and Rafi tells Rios about the deal they made. Rios is momentarily like, oh, that's my ship. And Seven's like, no, nah, it's actually mine. <laughs> it was mine to do with what I pleased. And Rios is like, no, 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 but in, in this timeline, yeah. post the, the Q thing, wouldn't it technically... And then they like get in this long argument. The whole like the last fifteen minutes of the episode are are Seven and Rios arguing over who technically has the pink slip on the La Serena at this point. <laughs> yeah, Nana Barati, which sounds like a cheese to me now. <laughs> it's the way you want to start a fancy meal. <laughs> oh, yeah, she's just out there in the wind. Do you think that the other Renee is a reference to Picard's nephew? Who dies in that fire. Wow. I hope so, because that really, that neatens it up in a fun way, in a better way than I was thinking it would. I mean, yeah. who knows? Who knows? We'll find out in the exciting <laughs> conclusion. The card has to choose which one dies in a fire. <laughs> <laughs> You must decide at the count of five. And Picard's like, I'm good at making decisions in five seconds or less. 
Did you like this episode of Star Trek Picard? I like it a lot more after talking to you about it. I came out of watching the episode a few times a little bit sour Hmm. on it. I've said this before on the show. It's not just about this episode, but I like being scared of the Borg. And every time we meet them, we get another reason why we should be less scared of them. (laughs) And so as soon as Gerardi started to, to do therapy on the queen, I was like, stop it. Like make them worse, make them scarier to me. And so you're going to hate the next couple of seasons of Star Trek Voyager, man. <laughs> uh And initially, I was really trying to argue against my own thoughts. Like, I don't want to be the sort of fan of Star Trek that goes like, I like the things the way they were, and I don't want things to change ever. And And in new versions of Star Trek, I want it to just be like nostalgic and the stuff that I know to be good. And that is like the toxic and shitty fandom that pervades Star Wars. Like, and I was someone who saw the Ryan Johnson Star Wars, and I thought that was one of the best Star Wars movies I'd ever seen. I loved it. And I loved it because it had the bravery to get in there and fuck around with things. And so I think where I came down at the end was like, it's not that I don't like how things are changing. It's that I wish... I was more on board for the motivations for those changes. Right. And I'm not quite all the way there with the reasons. Like I can get with the changes. I'm pro change, Mm -hmm. but I wish I could get with the support for those reasons a little more. So that's, that's where I'm at with this episode and maybe this season up until now, though, like with next week's finale, it could change my read on the entire season at that point. What about you? I think I've been more on board with this season overall than you have, but I think that this is kind of a bad episode of Star Trek Picard. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of really good ideas in it, and I really like the kind of peeling back the layers of the onion on the Borgs to realize that the foundational motivation in there is this, like, Mm -hmm. is that they are trying to resist death and that, like, resistance is futile is, like, the most ironic slogan for a species of all time. I wish it were only that. I wish that was the only reason that the Borgs had. Yeah. Because that is so simplistic and dark and binary. Yeah. Like, that's it. Yeah, I had a really hard time understanding why soon would be there. I really think Brent Spiner deserves better than what he's gotten this season. Like, when you're talking about unmotivated actions, Yeah. I mean, he's the top line example and it sucked to me that they just beamed two dozen heavily armed, highly trained black ops style killers. The implication is that they've been assimilated and yeah. that would be the scariest enemy of all time. And they like they are fucking stormtroopers in this episode. They are so easily killed. One of them lands one shot in the entire episode. Yeah. You know, maybe uh, Picard's father's warning about the dungeon having a thousand ways to die down there are just those bodies down there. <laughs> yeah. Trust me, kid, I've been down there. It is full of Borgs. It's fucked up. A little worse than uh, rolling an ankle in a rotten board. Yeah. On the other hand, I thought the scenes between Gerardi and Nana Borgs were really interesting. I got more out of them than than you did, clearly. like The meaning was more 
was clearer to me than it was to you. And maybe I'm wrong about what the meaning is. Maybe I'm like reading something into it that was ill-defined. I also just didn't think that the thing between Rafi and Elnor was earned at all. Especially in a crisis situation, like this is this is not exclusive to Star Trek, but the but the writerly instinct to create an emotional moment as the world is crumbling around people. Yeah. There's just no time for this. Create the space later. I will be really disappointed if the character of Elnord is alive at the end of next episode, unless they have something really fucking brilliant planned for that. You know he is, man. He's coming back and Picard is going to put a ring on Laris <laughs> and it's and they're both going to wink at the camera because Laris has been Talon the whole time and on and on. I hope it doesn't go that way. I don't know. And season three is me inviting the TNG crew to my wedding. <laughs> Open bar. Yeah. Food by... William Riker and his pizza oven. <laughs> it's an it's a destination wedding on Nepenthe. Kira opens up her invitation, sees the pizza catering, and like <laughs> racks a phaser <laughs> shotgun. <laughs> uh, Season three is about Cisco stopping Kira from blowing up a pizza oven at Picard's <laughs> wedding. <laughs> Well, let's uh, see what is in the Priority One inbox for this episode, Adam. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, there's nothing in there because the support we're getting from this episode doesn't come from Priority One messages. It comes from those who support the show during the Max Fund Drive by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. Yep. If you're hearing this, you're listening to this after the 2022 Max Fund Drive, but this was an episode that happened then. We really appreciate all of the monthly supporters, but if you'd like to get a Priority One message, you can head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set that up uh, for a future episode. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself in Edward Larkin? I'm going to give it to Talum for not just immediately beaming Teresa and her kid out of there for needing to be told like, hey, uh, there are a bunch of soldiers with guns. Maybe the non-combatants shouldn't be here anymore. I kind of got the feeling that there was a reluctance of her to use the smoky door from jump. Like yeah. it's not something she likes doing. It's an emergency use only thing. Maybe so. Yeah. Yeah. We have one more episode to find out what the deal is between her and Guinan, and I really want to know. I want to know where the beef is, and uh, I, I hope that they resolve that, too. I hope Whoopi is back in uh, the next episode. Yeah, as much as I like the younger actor playing Guinan for her run, I think that would be an elegant way to bookend uh, what's happened here. Yeah, that'd be cool. And then Picard just does the trick and makes her vomit. <laughs> you know, I learned something from your younger self. My name yeah. is Captain Picard. At this point, it's just like 
a funny gag between them. So she like yeah. she hurls in a way that would cause a flight attendant to have to give her a free sweatsuit. But then she's yeah. like laughing, like, <laughs> "Oh, Picard, you're crazy for that one." That's the origin story for the dress and hat combination. Like that was the only garment they had on the airplane. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, man? Did you find yourself an Edward Larkin uh, in this episode? I think it's got to be Raffi. And this is one of those Larkins that is actually like an anti-Larkin. Like sometimes the Larkin describes the person acting in their own interest in a bad way. And I think this is going to be one of those. Like Raffi stopping the show to achieve closure in a crisis situation. Yeah. You know what? Maybe my Larkin isn't that. It's whoever... Whoever conceived of a scene like this that could go anywhere else. Yeah. If they do bring Elnor back in the season finale, this is something that I believe is going to happen. Why not move that moment to then? Why not skip fake closure that happens with the emergency closure hologram (laughs) and make it happen between Rafi and an Elnor that doesn't know how close they came to dying in an alternate reality? Yeah. And have that be a moment where Raffi realizes what a manipulator she is and and like and that moment becomes a a good moment for Raffi instead of a stolen moment that she gets here. Something about this scene made me think that we are not going to see Elnor again, but I don't I don't know. Uh I mean, we'll see. It would forgive it if if we didn't. Like it would make this Yeah, it worth makes it, doing. It makes it less weird, I guess. Yeah. Well, we will find out a lot more on the next episode of Star Trek Picard, which you'll hear a little bit about in the credits. But uh, remember, uh, we are also going to have an episode of this show on Friday with the exciting first episode of Strange New Worlds. And Adam and I have both already seen it. And uh, we are really excited to talk more about it. I also watched it on a plane. Yeah. In front of everyone. I saw that Paramount executive just like snapping a pencil. (laughs) 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 Yeah, flight attendant grabbed uh, an emergency garment and tried to cover up my iPad with it. (laughs) What is this weird hat? You keep a weird hat on the plane? Yeah, what is this? As a change of clothes? Sort of sparkly giant hoop in it. What the hell? We just wrote the canonical reason for the hoop hat. (laughs) All right. Looking forward to a special second episode this week. Uh, In the meantime, thank you for listening. Here goes some credits. The Greatest Discovery is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica. It's produced by Wendy Pretty. And this episode was guest edited by James Willits. Later this week on Friday, we'll have an extra episode out for the series premiere of Strange New Worlds. When one of Pike's officers goes missing while on a secret mission for Starfleet, Pike has to come out of self-imposed exile while struggling with the vision of the future he's been given. Thank you to Adam Ragusia for the original music that we use on this show. Make sure you're subscribed to his YouTube cooking channel and his new podcast. And thanks to Bill Tilly, who handles the social media for Expert Shimoda. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Greatest Trek and use the hashtag Greatest Discovery to talk about the show online. Thanks for listening. We'll be back later this week with more of The Greatest Discovery.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.